Blog Talk Radio. Oh, that's nice. This is the off. Turn it off. Across the country and around the world, streaming live on the internet, it's Real Estate Coaching Radio, bringing you the latest news, interviews, and secrets of the top producers. Hosted by award-winning real estate coaches, Tim and Julie Harris. And welcome back to Real Estate Coaching Radio. This is Tim and Julie Harris, and we are your hosts for this 30 minutes-ish radio show that's devoted to how to help realtors get the most out of this new real estate recovery. And as always, guys, this is your unfiltered, full-strength source for all things that are truly working to get you into action and make you money in this new real estate boom. So, Julie, welcome to today's radio show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Guys, Julie has prepared um, five really killer points for you based on all of her coaching calls and, and my coaching calls, and she and I put together some notes of some things that we want to share with you today about a very important topic. So, Jules, the show is yours. Thank you. Okay, so let's jump right in. And the topic is five things that are wrecking your deals these days. And as you said, Tim, this is based on real-world coaching calls that we each have anywhere from 8 to 12, sometimes as many as 15 calls a day. And all over the country, literally from Alaska to the Caribbean, we're talking to all of you guys all the time. So sometimes a trend will make itself clear, and we have to get in front of that as your coaches and help you deal with this to not just save your deals, but make them more solid deals in the first place. So if you'd like me to jump right in, Tim, I've got point number one ready to rumble. Well, Julie, we better preface this by letting folks know, letting agents, our listeners know, that Mm -hmm. you guys can no longer tolerate a pending deal falling out of contract. The mindset in our industry, and we've noticed this really started in earnest probably about Mm -hmm. seven or eight years ago, you know, was, oh, you know, you put something in contract, 50% chance it's going to close. What? After all the work. That's failing. That's exactly right. After all the work. After all the work you put into (laughs) Julie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) After all the work you put So Julie, go ahead. What's the first point? Well, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just get so excited about this point. You you know, after all of the work that you put into this, our mantra was this. If it's in contract, it's gonna close, so help you God. That's it. Your seller believes it'll close, the other agent believes it will close, the buyer believes it'll close, so make it close. So point number one, uh, things that are wrecking your deals. Number one, lack of buyer prequalification. Your own buyer or the other side's buyer, how much time are you actually spending speaking with the buyer's lender? Do you know what are the five or six elements that actually go into underwriting? What causes a deal to actually get approved? Quiz, right? Well, so let's talk about those points. And, and guys, the biggest thing you've got to take from these next quick points about point number one is that when you ask your lender to, to do a pre-approval or a pre-qualification, the reality of it is is that, um, you know, in many cases, the lender's going to tell you that they've done a pre-approval where all they've really done is a pre-qualification. It's, it's critical that you understand this. And it's so much to the point that Julie and I, what we used to do, now remember, we haven't sold real estate for over a decade, but you know, full-time. But the reality of it is, is when we got an offer in on one of our listings, we would always write an addendum back. Let's say it's full-price offer. The seller loves the offer. Everyone wants to accept it. But here we are basically not sure of the co-op's uh, buyer's 
ability to get financing. We'd counter back every single offer, whether it was acceptable or not, saying that, yes, we accept your offer in the case of no negotiation over price or terms or all that good stuff, but your, your buyer has to provide a lender's letter that actually shows these points. Number one, and guys, you need to do this too when you're working with your buyers too, that the lender has actually verified that the buyer's credit is going to be significant enough, substantial enough to obtain the mortgage. Now, what does that mean specifically? Guys, there's three different credit reporting agencies, right? Equifax, TransUnion, and what's the other one, Julie? Uh, you said them too fast. Yeah, exactly. So there's three different <laughs> report, credit reporting <laughs> agencies. Yes, and, and what lenders will often do is they'll only do a one poll. So if someone calls in and wants to have a pre-approval done, typically what lenders will do is they'll only basically verify the credit on one of the three credit reporting agencies. I'm sure someone's going to tell us in chat what the, other, what the third one is. Experian, there it is. Okay. So the reality of it is, is lenders do that because they're just being lazy. See, lenders are taught that you don't spend any time on a borrower's file until the borrower is in contract on the property. So, again, you're turning the buyer over to your trustee lender, and the trustee lender is on the golf course, and or, you know, they're basically trying to burn through a lot of files or just doing what lenders do. They, you know, pop in the person's social security number and do Experian. Experian says their credit score is fine. Or the flip side to it is maybe Experian reports that their credit uh, – is too low, but the other two credit reporting agencies would have said their credit is fine, or just the opposite is what typically is happening. It's because the lender didn't take the time to check with all three credit reporting agencies. What has what's happening as a result of that is that they are then de um, basically declining the loan at the last minute because of the fact that they didn't actually check with three all three agencies. So remember that your lenders um, that are representing the co-op buyers or your buyers cannot actually claim to have done a pre-approval until they've actually checked with all three credit reporting agencies. And again, do not assume that the lenders are doing this because I can pretty much guarantee you that they're not. Number two, you have to have made sure that the lender has checked the borrower's ratios. We don't need to talk about ratios on today's radio show, but th that is important. Do they actually have enough income to support their current debt and whatever added debt the mortgage payment will create? Down payment verification, a real quick funny story. This is our first year in the business back in 1990-something. And, uh, yeah, I was working with a buyer. I didn't know how to pre-qualify, and I trusted the lender. And the lender said, yeah, this guy's great. He can buy a house, no problem. Put him in contract. Like two days before closing, I get a call from the lender. The borrower doesn't have his down payment. I called the borrower. What the heck's the story? And he goes, well, as I told the lender, I had to basically sell a rug in Iran he was uh, Persian, in order to have the money for my down payment. Now, was this the borrower's fault or was this the lender's fault? This is the lender's fault for not verifying that the borrower actually had the money necessary for purchasing the home. And the next thing is, and this one's tricky, you guys better remember this, non-contingent on the sale of anything. Now, follow me with what I'm about to say. I'm about to give you some advanced coaching. Please pay attention. Ready? All right. So you can receive a lender's letter from a co-op, and this is especially important for those of you guys who are in really competitive uh, markets, you can receive a lender's letter from a co-op showing from another agent bringing the buyer that states that the buyer's uh, financing is not contingent on the sale. Like It won't mention a home sale contingency. It won't say anything about it. 
So you get a lender's letter, you present it to your seller, you accept that offer from that buyer, you put them in contract, you think you're going to close in 30 days, everything's as right as rain. Then at the last minute, the financing doesn't get approved because the borrower didn't sell their current house. But the lender's letter didn't say anything about the sale of a current property. But the contract, following me on all this, the contract was contingent on financing, but the lender actually, um, because of the fact that the borrower had a property to sell, the financing was contingent on the sale of the property, but the sale of the property was only contingent on the financing. Julia, am I explaining that so these guys will yeah. understand? Yeah, absolutely. And you need to ask these questions. I know some of you guys feel like this is overly analytical or we're being too careful with you. But ask yourself the last time your deal fell apart, whether you're on the buying or selling side because of financing. Wasn't it because of one of these things we're discussing? That's right. And the next thing that Julie wanted to share with all of you guys, employment verification. Talk about that, Jules. <laughs> yes, and I realize some of you guys did deals, especially during the boom, with people who were actually unemployed and using other sources of income or maybe stated income. Well, these days, as most of you hopefully know, you do actually have to have a job to qualify for a mortgage. So some lenders, and it, it, you know, a lot of this depends on what the rest of the picture is. What are their ratios? How long have they had their job? What's their down payment? So particularly if any of those other items are shaky, they're going to send out a verification of employment letter that the uh, purchaser's actual employer is supposed to fill out. And sometimes it will even say, it will even ask their employer, what is the likelihood of this person having their job in the next one to two years? And that letter has to come back as part of the file in underwriting to actually close. So it's okay for you to ask the lender, has the employment verification letter been sent out yet? Just be assumptive. And if they don't need one, they'll tell you. If it has been sent out but they haven't gotten it back yet, you know, after a week or so, that might be a red flag. So employment verification, not just that they say they've got a job, but that it's been verified. And usually, you know, pay stubs and stuff like that usually will account for that. But again, if anything else is weird on the deal, they're going to actually send a letter out. So those are the things that actually create a real underwriting, a real pre-approval. So to Tim's point about credit, you know, we talked about that a lot. A lot of people on the pre-qualification process will say, yeah, I think my credit's 810. And the lender will shoot out a letter so they can write a contract. Well, I think my credit is this is different than a tri-merge actual credit check. So on to point number two. Again, our topic today is things that are wrecking your deals. Point number two is overpricing your listings to the point of creating appraisal problems. Now, you guys all, I, you know, you're pushing the limit on what you can get for your homeowners. That's part of your job is to get them the highest amount of money for their home in the least amount of time. And I'm all for pricing something to get high retail if the house is worthy, if it's in good shape, a good neighborhood, it's popular, there's low competition, low inventory. But some of you guys are taking this too far and you're pricing it so you don't actually have any comps. And I know why some of you are doing it. You're essentially on the edge of doing what we call buying the listing. You're promising the seller that you can get probably more than they even thought. Then you get it in contract, especially those of you guys that still have a little bit of low inventory going on. And guess what? The appraisal doesn't work out. And now you've got to go back to the seller and get them to take less than they had their hearts set on. How is that working out for you guys? Not much fun, is it? So be careful that you're not pricing over your comps. Does that make sense, Tim? It does. And let's take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, guys, we're going to get to the other three points. Hopefully you're taking notes. Hopefully we're helping you to avoid, uh, frankly, having a lot of your deals fall out of contract. So we'll be back in about a minute. 
According to the National Association of Realtors, only 10% of agents complete an amazing 90% of all transactions because they have a coach. If you want the production and performance that comes with being a top producer, then you need one too. Not just any coach, but the leaders in coaching today, Tim and Julie Harris. Don't just take our word for it. Listen to what HGTV star and Atlanta top producer Colette McDonald has to say. Hi, my name is Colette McDonald, and I'm with Remax in Atlanta, Georgia. I just wanted to take a moment and give a shout out to Tim and Julie Harris. I've been a coaching client of theirs for the last four years. When I first started in this business 12 years ago, I was very successful, did a great amount of business, averaged between eight and 10 million a year. When I contracted with Tim and Julie to be my graduate level coaches, my production increased by 20% per year. I am now trending 30 million this year. That's amazing results over four years of working with Tim and Julie Harris. I highly recommend them. Tiger Woods has a coach. And why does he have a coach? Because he can't see his swing. If you do what they tell you to, you will see huge results. I am living proof. Only Tim and Julie Harris provide powerful one-on-one coaching along with all the lead generation systems, scripts, presentations, team building, and business planning tools you need to dominate your real estate market. We offer affordable pricing with no long-term contracts, and our entire coaching staff are trained professional agents with top producing track records. Take action now and visit us online at freecoachingcallsforagents.com to schedule your free coaching call. There's no risk, no obligation, just a free, personal, one-on-one call with a trained professional coach. Join the elite 10% of agents who make all the difference in today's market. Visit freecoachingcallsforagents.com to get started. Again, that's freecoachingcallsforagents.com. Okay, perfect. So we are back and on to point number three, things that are wrecking your deals. Lack of creating a seller net sheet when you take the listing. How many of you guys have found out right before closing that there's this surprise HELOC, that no, home equity line of credit, that has to be paid off that nobody mentioned because the seller didn't realize it was attached to the house? A lot of you guys have had that surprise. I mean, I can tell you four or five coaching calls myself just in the past two weeks, and I think, Tim, you've had a lot of the same feedback For whatever reason you guys are afraid of or don't know, maybe it's just nobody's ever told you, you need to be doing three seller net sheets when you take the listing where it's the potential, the high price, the median price, and the low price based on your comps. What will the seller net? Now, on that net sheet, you're asking questions like, what is the payoff on the first mortgage? And before you get there, part of your pre-qualification script asks, I'm curious, what is your payoff so I can run some numbers for you? A lot of times the seller is going to have to call their lender or get online on their online banking and find out what that number is. You're going to also ask questions like, what are the other liens on the property? Do you have a home equity line of credit, for example, and the other liens? You know, some of my other listings have tax liens, mechanics liens, anything else that's attached to the property. These are normal questions that a professional asks who is responsible for doing a real estate transaction. So create a net sheet. Now, some of your title companies can help you with that. We're going to be posting for our coaching clients some sample seller net sheets so you get the gist of this. I know some of you guys are in states where attorneys close your deals for you and you use that as an excuse while you've never had to do that before. 
Well, you can wait until this is a problem for you, or you can get used to doing seller net sheets. Am I being too hard on them here, Tim? Well, no. And the other thing we'd suggest you guys do is, you know, Julie mentioned doing three separate net sheets, but that's sometimes a little overwhelming for the seller. So the one we're making for our coaching students, guys, this should be on the website as soon as uh, Julie gets done editing it, is one net sheet that shows three different uh, outcomes. And what you're going to notice on our net sheet, we're doing some things that are a little bit different. For example, we're not putting the commissions under a section that says commission, right? So you're going to see that your uh, commissions are going to be broken into, on, you know, for our coaching students, you're going to see that there's going to be a commission section, and the only commission that's going to be listed there is going to be the buyer's agent commission, and your commission is going to be listed in a separate section, and you're going to break your commission down into a marketing fee, a negotiating fee. Well, anyway, so existing coaching students, that is going to be on the website soon. So there's definitely some things you can also do, like charging processing fees. So, uh, again, coaching students, you can charge processing fees if you choose to. Uh, it's perfectly legal. You should be doing it if in a, your marketplace. Um, you know, lots of big brokers are charging processing fees now. Did you know individual agents? I have to always remind myself that a lot of our listeners are newish to the industry. You guys can be charging a full you know, six, seven, in some markets, 8%. Some markets, only 4% commission. And in addition to that, you can be charging a processing fee. We have coaching students that are charging $400 and $1,000. And, you know, I had one for a while that was charging $1,200 in addition to the normal commission. So in any event, we're going to have a net sheet uh, so that all of our coaching students don't have to think through this. They can just basically start using it. At the time of the listing, you want to basically have your net sheet in the form of an NCR or a carbon copy. So you can basically have the seller sign it at the bottom, acknowledging the three different scenarios, right? As Julie said earlier, the low range it might sell for, the you know average it might sell for, the high end that it might sell for. That way the seller kinds of you know can see all the different scenarios and how the house might sell. If you're in all of our coaching students, you guys should be using the flexible fee. The net sheet will cover those uh, parameters as well. So Julie, what's the, what's the next point? All right, so point number four on things that are wrecking your deals, having a meltdown instead of a negotiation over inspection items, not being flexible, not presenting the request professionally. You guys have a tendency to get these requests, especially you know, if you're the listing agent, you get a grocery list of stuff that needs to be fixed from the other agent, and you call up your seller and you go, you're not going to believe what they're asking for. They want this and this and this, and gosh, I know you don't want to deal with that, and you know, maybe they're going to walk or some other level of drama where you're inserting your own opinion because you're so inflamed that you have to deal with this. Instead of preparing your seller ahead of time so that they present their home in the best possible light, and Tim, remind me, we have to uh, dig out our how to prepare for the home inspection document that will help these guys. Actually, I was just about to tell you that would be a great radio show because we really need to show these guys how to basically yeah. present homes because they really do screw that up all the time. Well, and it can wreck your deal. It can make your deal die, and then you're back to the drawing board. That's no good. Yep. Remember, once it's in nope. contract, it's going to close or else or something. <laughs> or something. Okay, so <laughs> – don't insert your own opinion just because you're mad you have to have a secondary negotiation. You know you're going to have to deal with it. So ideally, you're going to prepare your seller and have them do simple things like replace the furnace filter. Because a funny thing happens if the furnace filter appears to be spick and span, super clean, the home inspector is going to make some assumptions that if they take that good care of their furnace and there's not a three-inch layer of dust on top of it, well, probably the rest of the house is in pretty good shape. If, by contrast, they look in there and there is no furnace filter or it's a big gunky mess, 
Now their suspicion is up, and now they're going to be extra scrutinizing of every other thing that's on there and possibly even freak out the buyer during the inspection. So or most likely comes, what they're going to do is be lazy, and they're going to write on the home inspection, furnace inspection suggested just because they saw a dirty filter. And then the next thing, your seller is going to be going, <laughs> I have to pay yeah. for a furnace inspection. And I mean, guys, yeah. it's a slippery slope, and there's lots of things you can be doing to prevent all this stuff yeah. from happening. Probably the buyer will just ask for a new furnace at that point, when in fact it just needed a filter. Right. (laughs) So some of this is caused by you guys not being more careful up front. So instead of freaking out when you present that, simply present the facts of what they're asking for and ask the seller what their thoughts are. This was a big lesson that I learned back when we were cranking, you know, 20 closings a month, right? So I eventually learned that if you simply present and shut up, it's a lot easier, so the seller is going to do one of several things. They're going to freak out, which is your anticipation, but actually happens less frequently if you don't start the freak out. Or they're going to say something like, yeah, we kind of figured that's what it would be. We'll take care of all that, <laughs> which I was always shocked at when you got that answer because it wasn't what you expected. Exactly. Or they'll say, well, what if we were to do the safety items and then give them a check for 300 bucks? They're going to have some kind of a combination negotiation. But how many times do agents actually cause the deal to die simply because they're so upset they have to actually negotiate for real? So well, it goes on that. both ends, right? But it goes on both ends. It's when it's your yeah. listing and, and you act like you know you have to negotiate this big, huge inspection thing, whereas the reality, as Julie just alluded to, the seller would happily pay for all the repairs to be done. But then where, where the real sins are committed are on the buyer agent side, because you guys show up and act, you know, you have your basic Indiana Jones home inspection outfit on, <laughs> your flashlight true. and everything, and you walk that. around with the home inspector, and then the home inspector comes out with this massive list of little stupid items, and because you guys are like, you know, frankly, ill-prepared to negotiate, you freak your buyer out, or you go and basically try to make the, uh, the listing agent, who might, let's be honest, be equally ill-prepared to negotiate unsatisfactory conditions. So you send this grocery list of crap over to this, Ill, the, this listing agent, asking their seller to fix all this stuff prior to closing. And of course, the seller is going to go say, but "Go pound dirt," you know, because the reality of it is, is none of those things were really anything to worry about in the first place. But on the listing end of things, guys, one thing we didn't have on our list today, but it's worth doing, is have the house pre-inspected prior to putting it for sale. Have mm-hmm. all the things that are um, that the inspector finds fixed, and then leave the home inspection on the kitchen counter for any prospective buyers and buyer agents to see, because then you remove the whole threat. You remove the whole stressful event of the potential unsatisfactory conditions through the home inspection. So, guys, mm-hmm. if you're losing deals or if you've – you know, again, if you're believing that 50% of your deals are going to fall out from one of the reasons that we've, as we've noted so far, stop thinking like that. It's too much work to get them listed in the first place exactly. or to get a buyer in contract in the first place. It's too much work to get it in contract. It's too much work than to basically have all that go to nothing and then have to start over again. And you guys know as well as I do the likelihood that that seller or that buyer are going to stick it out with you if you've allowed a deal to die over something as silly as we've mentioned so far. You're probably not going to keep that as a person as a client. Next point, Jules? Point number five, having verbal agreements instead of proper contracts. I've seen a rash of this lately. And then having nothing to stand on when someone decides not to perform. You guys do this when you're busy. You do it when you're feeling lazy. You do it when you feel like you've got an extra amount of rapport with the other agent. That's the times that I see this. 
And, you know, the laziness thing, really, there's no excuse for that. You try and go back and forth on the phone verbally, and then you're going to put it all into a summary contract when you're done. That's a good way to screw up a contract because somebody is not going to remember something, and they're going to say, oh, yeah, well, we talked about that back when we put this deal together, didn't we? But nobody's got any evidence of it. So now you've got no leg to stand on. You've got to get serious about having tight contracts because then when something does come up, you can say, well, we're just going to do what the contract says. We're going to do what we all agreed to. We're not going to renegotiate this. We're not going to guess at what the agreement was. So cut out the whole verbal agreement nonsense. I know you might see that on Bravo TV now and then, that you just call each other and you do a deal in three seconds. That's hey guys, not really realistic, we, is it? We have we have a little secret for you. You guys know that a lot of those Bravo TV people are our uh, superstars. Most of what you see on TV is fake. It's staged. Okay, there's your little secret for you. So keep that in mind. Yeah. To no $4 million to deal point. comes together in three calls. Exactly. Over over some realtor sitting sternly on a, a leather chair trying to dictate terms. It's fake. Okay. So, Julie, you had some optional um, points to, that we want to review. Sure. Go ahead. Yes. All right. So when you're negotiating – you want to make sure, particularly when you're competing, to let the other agent know, if you're on the buyer side, usually when this happens, and your buyer's competing with a bunch of other people, you call the listing agent, you say, if for some crazy reason we're not the chosen ones out of the gate, please keep us in the running. If you're considering anybody else's offer, please give me a professional courtesy of calling me before you accept that in case we need to sweeten our deal. Fair enough? Okay, great. Now, a smart listing agent is going to realize that their job is indeed to get the highest and best terms for their homeowner and will actually call you, and you're going to increase your chances of not losing that deal. So sometimes a simple script like that, please give us the professional courtesy of letting me know if you're considering somebody else's deal so we can sweeten ours if necessary. So keep me in the running script is what I call that. Second bonus point is counteroffer everything. If you're a listing agent and you get some crazy, insane-looking lowball offer that's not even remotely close to your comps, counter it anyway. The rule is you're never let, allowed to let the deal die when it's in your court. Counter everything. I remember a deal, Tim, I don't know if you remember this, but it was in Muirfield, and we had both sides of the deal, and I think it was our all-time record back and forth, and it was like 15 counteroffers, and they ended up closing. So, you know, some people just like to negotiate, but don't let it die in your court. That's right. And Next actually, point, I, don't re- yeah, I, I don't remember that. I think I, I think I blocked it, thank God. <laughs> you should have. I'll remind you later. It was the crazy red basement. Anyway. Oh, um, I do remember. Uh, oh, we have to tell them that story. That. We have to tell them that story. <laughs> okay. You can okay. Tell okay. okay, real quick real estate story. <laughs> okay. This is hilarious, Ew. though. So we went out to list this house. In this uh, area, you guys know Muirfield if you're golf fans, and this basement was like some sort of, you know, I don't know how else to call it other than a dungeon. We've never seen anything like it before. So there was a normal basement, and then there was this hidden door that the seller had to show us, and inside this hidden door, there literally was a red velvet-lined I mean, you guys can fill in the blanks of what we're talking yeah. about here. It's something from Fifty Shades of Grey meets I don't know what from the 70s. There were lights. <laughs> yeah. It was hilarious. Yeah, and we had to list that thing. <laughs> yeah, the word neutralize yeah. comes into mind, but. Right, neutralize with dumpster. Well, you can, yeah, so anyway, yeah. yes, the stories from actually having <laughs> sold real estate sometimes. Like, yeah, I had blocked the, that the, one. But it did actually sell. So. Yeah. 
It did. And I think the buyers actually bought it because of the red room as it came to, became to known. <laughs> hey, you know what? Something for everyone. So my next bonus point is to actually practice urgency because lack of urgency can kill deals. And we've been sort of joking about everything from uh, if you guys have the Jimmy John's sub shop, their, their uh, mantra is freakish, freakishly fast delivery. I have a client this morning that called, uh, she's nicknamed her urgency, quote, stalker fast. So that, you know, the, the prospect barely hangs up the phone and she's on it. And they go, well, I, I think I just left you a message. Who are you again? So that kind of fast follow-up. And that also applies to everything you do in your transactions. I have coaching calls sometimes where somebody will say, yeah, I got this inspection request two days ago and I don't know what to do about it. Two days ago, I'm surprised the buyer hasn't bailed yet. So have urgency in everything you do, not just your lead follow-up, but how you do your deals. And pardon me, the last bonus point is some of you guys are finding higher inventory and more price reductions these days. That means you have to make more of an effort in staging the home and showing it like a model property. The more competition you have, the more effort you've got to make in the presentation of your listings. That's it. Those are your yeah. points and your, and your counterpoints. And guys, listen, um, this is all really the, the fundamental core of these points and what you have to internalize is once something's in contract, do not let it die. Don't listen to the agents in your office or anyone else tell you that, oh, listen, it's okay to let 50% of your deals die. You know, those are the same people that tell you that, oh, it's okay if only 50% of your listings sell. That's yeah. insanity. It just is. Failing. Anyone that tells you that 50% is acceptable, you have to ask yourself if your child brought home a report card with a bunch of you know, 50% or apps, would that be acceptable to you? It wouldn't. So don't have it be acceptable. Because honestly, guys, at the end of the day, who are you really hurting? You're not only hurting yourself and your family, obviously, but you're hurting the folks that have entrusted you for the job of selling their home or helping them purchase a home by allowing mediocrity and complacency to enter into your minds and allowing anything other than 100% success, 100% of the time, being your new minimum standard. So, listen, we've got to wrap it up. Julie and I have got to get back on a few coaching calls. If you guys need us for anything at any time, go to freecoachingcallsforagents.com. Existing coaching students, you guys get priority scheduling, and all you have to do uh, if you need a free coaching call, if you're in any of our classes, is obviously uh, just chat up someone at our office or call our office, and you guys get priority with our schedules. So just keep that in mind. In the meantime, we'll talk with you on the radio tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time... Thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.